I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with a Deal. And today our guest is Steve Epstein, a partner and the co-head of M&A and private equity at Freed Frank in New York. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. David, it's great to be here with you. Thank you. So we're going to talk about several things on today's podcast, how you came to be a lawyer and then focus on corporate. Your time in investment banking and what you learned there, especially from Frank Quattrone, your move back to the law and eventually to Freed Frank, and then how you see your role as a head of EE and M&A. And then finally, a little bit about your love for tennis and your family's love for tennis. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a lawyer. My interest in the law really stems from my personal history. I came to the United States from the former Soviet Union when I was five years old. And like many kids at that point, moved to uh, Brooklyn, New York, which is where I spent the first five years. And I was an only child and my grandparents, both sets of grandparents came with us. And my language skills kind of grew pretty quickly, at least quicker than than my parents and my grandparents. And from a pretty early age, I was charged with reading my grandparents' mail and dealing with it, translating it. And during that time, you know, I witnessed both sets of grandparents and my parents, frankly, confronted with really lots of not just language issues, but various housing issues and employment issues and educational issues. And it seemed like the common thread to their solutions was always, well, if we knew our rights and if we knew what we could do through the law, we would be a lot more empowered. And so I kept hearing this thing about lawyering and lawyers, and that kind of stuck. And that made me feel like that would really give me a sense of empowerment that they lacked. And as I got a little bit older, my interest grew in that field. And that's really the beginning of of how I got into pursuing the law. And then talk about your time in college and law school and how you decided to focus on corporate and then M&A. Well, you know, given that my childhood experiences were rather limited with respect to corporate law and my access was even more limited, lawyering for me equaled really being a litigator. And so I always thought about walking into a courtroom and you know telling a, a fascinating narrative to a jury and winning and i think that maybe that's how a lot of kids think about the law before they know the breadth of what's available so that's where my interest started and certainly when i went to law school i think law schools are generally more geared toward litigation and as a result of my original interest plus law school I found myself interning at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District. I interned for a judge in the Southern District. And I ultimately did a summer internship at a law firm in their litigation department. And they had a very small corporate department at this firm. And I sort of was seeing what my future would look like as a litigator, which at that time meant a very small room with crowded with a lot of boxes with paper. And I saw what the corporate lawyers were doing and the kind of the more what seemed to me more fast paced environment 
of deals happening on the order of months rather than litigations that were taking years and years. And I realized that my personality was kind of more geared toward corporate law. I also had one year of work experience at Arthur Anderson before going to law school where I worked as a financial consultant. And you know that also opened my eyes to an interest in companies and how they work and what makes them tick. And I thought, kind of looking myself in the mirror, that I was better suited to corporate law than, than I was to the courtroom. And so talk about your years as a young associate in the late 90s, and then your move to investment banking for a couple of years. Well, I think that working in a very busy M&A practice is a great learning experience. I started at what was Dewey Valentine and worked in a, a very busy group at a very busy time. And so even though I did not spend a long time at Dewey, I got a lot of reps in as a junior associate. I was working with a lot of investment bankers and it was really the heyday of tech investment banking. And I saw a lot of people moving from the law to investment banking. I was interested in business. You know, my interest in business was growing. And I ended up interviewing at a couple of banks and I got an opportunity at what was the number one tech group on Wall Street at the time at Credit Suisse. And then lastly, and truthfully, I was under kind of the mistaken impression as a junior lawyer that bankers really are the ones who put together the deals and lawyers just paper them. And I did not realize what I realized later in my professional career about what roles lawyers can play with companies and with boards. And so talk about that time at Credit Suisse, which is really formative for you. You know, it was. I think banking remains, and my experience at Credit Suisse remains, for me, the most impactful professional experience to date. And I think that's because in addition to learning about how to take a company and kind of pick it apart and understand what its sensitivities are, what its business is, what the operating leverage of a company is, and the secret sauce if it has one is. I also learned about the importance of marketing. Obviously, as a banker, probably 50, 60% of my time was execution. But the rest of the time was about marketing. It was about preparing pitches. It was about learning about sectors within larger industries, becoming a mini expert, if you will, and then figuring out how to sell our banking services to a particular company. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I now realize that in my practice, particularly as a more senior lawyer, how important marketing and sales are in a law firm today. And so that's why I think it was an incredibly impactful time for me. The head of that group, CS at that time, was Frank Quattrone, who, of course, went on to start at Catalyst, which has been an enormously successful investment bank in the tech sector. What did you learn just from him? Well, look, I was a pretty inconsequential and junior banker in Frank's group. But nonetheless, despite my seniority, I learned a lot by watching him. And I would say, as I look back on my career, 
even though he probably doesn't know it, he was one of my real mentors. First of all, he put together a culture that I think permeated top down from the very senior deal makers all the way to the most junior analysts that working as a team, covering a company completely as a team was going to lead to success and doing things that were kind of individualistic was not going to, was not going to lead to the same level of success. And he exhibited a lot of qualities as a leader that I now look back on and in many instances try to emulate myself. I mean, for example, he always responded to the most junior bankers as if they were the most senior bankers. And he, I think, operated under the assumption that if you were part of the team, there was a good chance that you had something important to offer irrespective of your seniority. And I think that's really important. And it's become important for me to treat our junior lawyers in the same way, because people are generally in banking and in law, they're very driven. They want to make a mark. They want to make a difference. And it's important that they be heard regardless of their seniority, because great ideas don't only reside in the most senior people. Two, he really loved tech. You could tell he just, it was just palpable. He loved all tech. He knew stuff about software, hardware, comm equipment. He really loved what he did and he brought it every day. And you can feel that when you were on a phone call, listening to him lead a group call, talk to a board, you could really feel that he loved what he did. And, you know, he always used to say 90% of life is just showing up, but he did honestly a lot more than just show up. And that was really important. And then three, I think in order to be great in kind of at the highest levels of the advisory business, I think you need to have a healthy dose of humility and a sense of humor about yourself. And, you know, Frank definitely had that. And, and it was on display many times. And, you know, I think some of the things might be urban legend, but nonetheless, stories that I heard and just the interaction that I saw myself, I realized that even though he was really at the pinnacle the game, he had a really great sense of humor about himself. Well, it sounds like he never forgot that he was the advisor and the client was the client. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that irrespective of how successful he was, knowing that divide and knowing that the client makes the final call and pays the bills is really important to remember. And then talk about your transition back to law at a pretty challenging time in certainly in tech, but also in the M&A markets more broadly. Yeah, look, I think the tech bubble burst. Credit Suisse had a bunch of issues in the tech investment banking group. And I was there through a number of layoffs. And then ultimately, I got impacted probably six to nine months into the layoff process. And in retrospect, it was an important time. And I learned some really important lessons. Most of the people I would say that I practice with have never had real failure like that, never gotten laid off. And experiencing that and experiencing that at a time when my wife and I were expecting our first child, it was a tough time. It was a humbling time. 
but it was also really important in retrospect because, you know, as I need to make tough decisions sometimes with my partners about people's careers, I think having that experience lends a perspective that's very important. And so talk about your transition back to the law and how you reoriented it. Uh, well, I met actually through a lawyer that represented Credit Suisse. I met Spencer Klein, who at the time was moving to McDermott, Will & Emery and collecting a group of, uh, of lawyers from different firms, including Sherman and Cravat and myself and a few others, and trying to put together a group to do both public and private strategic M&A at McDermott. And so I joined that group and, you know, it was a great group to work with. I worked with that group for nine years. Some of those folks ended up peeling off slightly before that. But Spencer turned out to be an important figure for me and an important mentor because he taught me how to technically do M&A, but also a lot of the soft skills around M&A that are very important. So that became a formative nine-year period as we moved from McDermott ultimately to O'Melveny. And then finally, talk about your move to Freed Frank 10 years ago and your thinking behind that move. Yeah. It's, so time really flies because it's now, I think it's actually, I'm coming up on my 14th anniversary in a few months. Freed Frank was always a place that I regarded as a premier M&A and private equity platform. And as a young partner, what I saw was that it was very difficult to convince people, sometimes two, three decades older than you, that they would take a chance on you, particularly if you weren't on a platform that said, yeah, this is a place that has done lots of deals. This is a place that has all the right resources for a bet the company M&A transaction. And if I could show that I could deliver the best that Free Frank has to offer, my chances of getting hired would be much higher. And so when I was leaving O'Melveny, I realized that as a young partner, I needed that kind of platform tailwind in order to sell business. And that's what Free Frank offered. And so then talk about your time at Freed Frank and how you balance, you know, the technical aspects of the job and the sales aspects of the job. Well, I think first and foremost, M&A lawyers and frankly, all of our lawyers, you know, get paid to dispense judgment, not to produce paper. I really believe that. And so our number one job is to obviously do all the technical work correctly and at the very top of the legal profession. But it is also to give that judgment to clients about not only how to solve their problem, but how to do it in the context of the environment that they're facing. And being able to overlay environmental issues, the issues of you know, what's going on with interest rates, what's going on in the local economy, what's going on more broadly in the regulatory landscape, being able to overlay all of those issues into a solution is obviously job one. And that's something that I focus on most. 
in terms of you know the other responsibilities of leading the group, I think that I always say you can't backfill culture. In other words, you can't be financially very successful as a group or as a person and then create a good culture afterwards, after that success is gone, because it's not authentic. I think it, frankly, what we try to do is we try to create an atmosphere where people are excited to come to work every day, where there's a level of respect among our M&A and private equity partners. We have one group, for example, we don't bifurcate the group, we share resources. All of our partners are cross-trained on both private equity deals and strategic deals. And the idea is create an environment where people are excited to come to work, where people like the people they work with, where people feel a connection, where there's a stickiness. You know, up until about four months ago, David, I was the last MA profit equity lateral at Free Frank in the last dozen years. So we don't really have a revolving door culture. We really have a culture where people know each other deeply. They know things about people's spouses and kids and their private life. And it is really a connectivity and a glue that then leads, I believe, to financial success. And, and we've seen the group grow as we continued to really work on the culture part. What would you say have been the biggest challenges you've faced in co-running the group? Well, look, I think that the legal landscape has become incredibly competitive. Every year, it becomes more competitive. There are more and more, I'll call them supermarket firms that are offering a one-stop shop. You know, Free Frank, we have 800 lawyers. We have we have a handful of offices. We offer a different product and being able to articulate what we offer and why what we offer is different has been challenging in a competitive environment. But I think that we've been able to do that thus far. And that if you look at our last decade, you can see a tremendous increase, not only in our revenue and profits, but also I think in our visibility in the market. And so going back to your time at Credit Suisse, it almost seems like there's a relationship between the ability to, uh, frankly, sell your services as an attorney and, and an ability to think about the business more broadly. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think what I was looking for, I didn't have the language and the vocabulary to describe it when I was 25. But I think what I was looking for is I wanted to be a trusted advisor. I want to be somebody on a very short list that companies or boards would call if they were facing an issue, whether that was an issue related to M&A or whether that was simply an issue and they wanted a thought partner to think through that issue. And having the experiences in banking and having the experiences as an M&A lawyer and combining those has been very important in trying to get on as many of those short lists possible. And it's a, you know, it's a work in progress. I'm not done yet. And then finally, talk to us a little bit about tennis, which is an interest you've had going back to your childhood. Yeah, I, tennis is, is something that I was introduced to a little bit later in life. I started when I was 12 or 13 
it was something that I fell in love with. And then, you know, I didn't have the funding necessarily at that time in my life to get all the training that I would have hoped for. But I spent a lot of time staring at a big wall and hitting against it and uh, playing at the local tennis courts. But it's something that I love. It's something that became a passion and did the most I could with it. I did play college tennis. I spent a lot of time watching and practicing and less time starting uh, than I would have liked. But it was a thing that really enjoyed. It's something that gave me a great outlet that was non-academic. And it's truly you know, a sport for life. And I was able to pass that, I think, passion to, to my kids and my kids now, both college tennis players, and they far outpaced my tennis skills. But it's been a real joy to watch them play tournaments and travel with them and get to see them have a connection to people and places that they otherwise would not have had but for tennis. And will your kids still play with you or, or hit with you or only with a little bit of, of willingness? Um, well, my kids, they know that I love it. And so every now and again, they'll throw me a bone and they'll hit with me. But I, I will say that one of my great thrills was my daughter got to play in the national championships this year, uh, this past year, down at the National Tennis Center in Orlando. And I got to warm her up. And uh, that was a great thrill for me. So yeah, from time to time, I get a chance to hit the court with them. But I'm no longer really competitive with them. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, David. Really nice to do this. For Drinks with the Deal, I'm David Marcus.